This is The Guardian. Today, the rise of misogynistic influencers and fourth wave feminism. How Gen Z is supposedly the most divided generation ever. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You might think that with every generation, we get more progressive. And it's true that Gen Z is politically engaged. They protest about the climate crisis, about racism, about wars they don't believe in. They have the vocabulary to talk about gender and sexuality and about mental health with nuance. As a millennial, I look at them and I feel a lot of hope. But at the same time, something surprising is happening with Gen Z. So a new poll has revealed that Gen Z boys and men are more likely to believe that feminism has done more harm than good. A major new study from King's College London has found that this generation is the most divided ever studied. While more young women are getting into feminist causes, over two-thirds of those aged 16 to 29 say it's harder to be a woman than a man, an increasing number of young men think the opposite. In fact, they're more likely than people aged over 60 to believe that feminism has done more harm than good. The King's College research is just the latest study, suggesting that Gen Z are not necessarily as left-leaning as many of us may assume. Why is that? What is it? that makes this, the first generation that's grown up online and that spends so much of their lives there, so different to those of us who've come before? And who's helping young people to understand their role in the world and to feel confident, whatever their gender? From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, Gen Z and the Great Gender Divide. Dr. Daniel Guinness, you're the Managing Director of Beyond Equality, which is a charity that works with boys and with men to help them think about their identities and to think about how we can try to build a more equitable society. I know you've run workshops with hundreds of thousands of people in schools and in universities and workplaces over the past decade. What are some of the main issues or concerns that you hear boys and young men express? It depends upon their age, but I would say overall, like we see the themes of their well-being coming up um, quite a lot. So typically they're not going to say things like, I'm feeling depressed or, you know, I'm, I'm feeling anxious, but they might say, oh, this stresses me out or I worry about that. And often it's coupled with something which is, and I don't know where I can get help or I don't think I can or get help or I've got too many people relying on me, 
to go and take that time and get help for myself. So one conversation, mental health uh, and well-being. Um, second conversation, the vast majority of men are really interested in this question about a more equitable society. Some of them are kind of coming at that conversation a little bit fearful. They've heard things in the media and they feel defensive about them. But a lot of them are actually completely for it and I just don't really know where they stand, don't really know how to contribute. What kinds of things do boys say to you about how they see the women in their lives or how they see women portrayed in the media? It's complicated. It's nuanced. I think, to be completely honest, perhaps the first thing that comes up, especially if you make it a little bit anonymous, is that they'll talk about sex. They're trying to drop references in there about porn or things like this. Then from there, you're getting a whole range of things. I think there's a lot of stereotypes that exist around care and uh, you know a lot of these ideas that, that women and girls are more naturally caring and nurturing, you know, this mother figure. There's definitely some, some attitudes at the moment. Uh, there's always been some attitudes, but particularly at the moment, that women have particular roles in our society right, in looking after the house and the home. Um, so those things would come out. Oh, really? Yeah. You hear that a lot? You do hear that. You do hear that a lot. Um, I'd say, you know, certain social media influences over the past few years have kind of turned that into a, like, a catchphrase that some boys will quote. You know, quote, unquote, it's just natural. That doesn't mean I'm, that doesn't make me misogynist. That doesn't make me sexist. That's just true. Some of the boys have worries and fears that they're going to be treated unfairly if, say, there's a dispute or an argument that involves a girl, um, that everyone's going to believe her and never believe him. Uh, and then, I mean, also, I think a lot of the boys are just actually good friends with girls and, you know, so talk about them as people who they're connected to in their lives. So these findings from King's College... What did you think when you saw them? I think there's always a really important point here of recognising that this is like a very statistical um, uh, analysis that's come out of it. And so some of the generalisations that have been drawn and maybe focused on, like the headlines, have been, oh, there's a polarisation between men and women or boys and girls in that younger age group. But actually, if you have a look at it, if there's a polarisation, it's between a segment of young men and boys and you know, the rest of young men and boys. It's actually still, I think across every single measure, the minority of young men and boys who would be believing on, you know, in the thing that might be seen as being the more harmful or negative attitude to take towards women and girls or the more negative attitude to take towards feminism, rather than all men think this way and all women think that other way. Gamble, you're a writer and founder of Polyester Zine. And when I saw this research from King's College, I straight away wanted to hear what you had to say about it because you have such a great understanding of the micro trends in feminism and how they spread on social media. Oh, thank you. So what did, <laughs> well, it's true. It's true, isn't it? What did you make of these findings? I think it was like very unsurprising to be honest and it was interesting to see some like hard data put to 
the conversations that have been going around in online spaces for, you know, last five years, like even close to 10 years now about, you know, incels, but also like feminism online and all of that thing. So for me, it was kind of just like quite affirming while worrying, of course, because it's worrying to see that like boys and men are moving away and becoming more conservative when it comes to gender, but also heartening to see that feminism is kind of infiltrating the lives of so many young women. In terms of Gen Z embracing feminism, how has social media enabled them to do that and how has it influenced them? If you could talk through sort of some of the trends that you've seen over the past, let's say, five years. Yeah, definitely. So I think it's really interesting because obviously the internet in general just gives us so much access to so much information. Five years ago, let's say, I feel like we were all kind of quite annoyed with the type of feminism we were seeing being conveyed in the mainstream. So, you know, like girl boss feminism, um, girl power feminism, basically like for millennials. I would say like 2012 to 2020, like I think the pandemic was really the final death now for this type of feminism. We were seeing a lot of posy vibes feminism, things being like overly positive. The phrase like girl gangs used a lot. Um, I think that was frustrating the best of us. My mom said to me, you know, sweetheart, one day you should settle down and marry a rich man. And I said, mom, I am a rich man. Gen Z were at that point, you know, coming into a period of time in which they could make decisions for themselves. So it was interesting to see how quickly they really did say like, oh, no, this is rubbish, like found it quite cringe and embarrassing, really. But then seeing what they would do with feminism. And I think a lot of people say a lot of bad things about TikTok and many of those things are right. But I think it allows ideas to spread much more organically. So I think what we're seeing on TikTok now and over the past five years in terms of people learning about feminism and organizing themselves into like very particular subcultures underneath feminism is more reminiscent to um, like Tumblr 10 years ago. Were you on Tumblr? I somehow missed Tumblr, you know. No I just I was I was like a Tumblr voyeur. I wasn't uh-huh. creating anything. Oh, same. I didn't create anything at all. Like I was just a massive lurker. But I think what we're seeing is really interesting ways of young women and young queer people organizing the world through information they're learning on the internet, basically. Why do you think Gen Z girls and women are embracing feminism so sort of heartily at the moment? I think just because they're around it so much, like, for example, feminism for me, I discovered it probably when I was around 14 or 15. And that was on the internet. And that was like the early ish days of social media, right? And before that, I probably would have discovered feminism at university or like in a more adult friendship group. Whereas now feminism is kind of all around us, you go on the internet, and you don't even really have to look for it to encounter it. There's so many resources on how to like organize in your communities, but also just like feminist ideology that exists on the internet that really teaches Gen Z women like what all of the things they should know about feminism as soon as they have the mind to access that. Right, because one thing that we haven't really talked about is the the way that people got siloed essentially during the pandemic and spent more and more time on their own in their little communities on social media. Yeah, I think that's hugely, hugely influential here. I think it really made people be able to like sit down and read a lot. It was the only way we were talking to anyone, let alone like consuming anything. And I think that's why we've come to the position we are on like both sides of the fence. That's why like 
young boys are maybe more radicalized on the right and why girls are more radicalized on the left i just think it's like the type of content that we're fed essentially which is like a horrible algorithmic issue Dan, since you started running workshops again um, after the pandemic, what changes have you seen, if any, in the way young men talk about themselves and how they talk about women and girls? Has there been a difference? Yeah, there's definitely been differences. I think precipitated by that time alone and just, I guess, getting further and further deeply entrenched with a certain algorithmically created bubble what uh, is also important to bear in mind is in that same period, a couple of big things happened. I mean, one, a lot of these young people like actually experienced quite a bit of trauma or difficulty during those years. Like, We know that domestic violence increased. We know that a lot of tensions were high in houses and that many households didn't really cope with the, the pressure of being able to like, operate like a schooling environment at home. Two years ago, Soma Sara began sharing on Instagram her experiences of rape culture. She triggered a movement. Everyone's invited. It gave survivors an anonymous space to tell their stories. Since it began, more than 50,000 testimonies have been submitted from around the world. There was also, for young people, the Everyone's Invited movement was huge. And it did something very important, which was give a space for otherwise untold stories about harassment and assault to be to be brought to the surface. So that was a very positive shift and a really important, powerful thing that happened. But for a lot of the young people, young men and boys in particular, they experienced it quite differently. Like if you imagine a 15-year-old or a 14-year-old who's never even texted with a girl and then he's maybe sitting there in, a, in an assembly or whatever else and there's a discussion that comes up and because tensions are quite high, like a level of this social analysis that points towards how some of our social norms actually completely normalize or even encourage levels of violence and sexism towards women. He was sitting there and probably many young men and boys experienced that as being a personal attack on them and them being labeled as being not just a potential, but being an actual assaulter or someone who's capable of perpetrating these crimes. The accusations now attached to many schools. Educate your sons, read the signs, but interrogate them too, say police. As today, they called on parents to report any child suspected of abusing or harassing others. And that's like a a pretty scary thing for a young person who's already super insecure about what they're doing in terms of their relationships and who they're forming them with and what their sexuality is and all those other things. Uh, They're looking for things that was going to make sense of this for them and also make sense of it in a way that didn't blame them. But unfortunately, the space was sort of taken by people like those put forward by someone like Andrew Tate, which kind of said, hey, Young men, you're not the problem. Actually, you should go even more aggressive and forceful and controlling than what you did before. And you know, we need to take back our power and don't be a loser and you know, all of these sorts of stuff. Right, and in this King's College study, one in five of the men aged 16 to 29 
said they had a favourable view of Andrew Tate. What is it about him that is sort of filling in the answers that these men are looking for? We've been thinking uh, through that a lot, obviously. Um, (laughs) Part of it, it's a message that is tailored to make them feel powerful and um, encourage them to take back more control and actually really to take less responsibility. Uh, It's quite palatable message to get, right? So that's one thing. Second thing, it's tapping into really widely held stereotypes about what a man is. Because I said the truth. Which is? Women can't fight. Men are stronger. If I were to get on a plane, that plane was to fly into the eye of a hurricane. There was a 50% chance of it crashing. I'd want a male pilot because I think that males are better under stress and under pressure. I think they're less likely to get emotional in a life or death. Kind of what Andrew Tate does is he's like, okay, maybe you get a sense from your parents. They give you praise when you do something athletic or that's when your photos, you know, in the school paper or that's the most popular kid in the classroom, the strong guy or the fast guy or whatever it is. Um, what Andrew Tate does is say, I'm just going to say that's the only way to think about the world. And if you're like me and you do that absolutely to the maximum, then you're this amazing person. Everyone else is a loser and pathetic. Um, so follow me. Ione, misogynistic influencers like Andrew Tate have gone from lurking around in the sort of dark corners of the internet to becoming so talked about in the mainstream media and so well recognised by young men. How does that seem to be impacting young women? I mean, I think it probably radicalizes women to you know be more feminist and to push in the other direction which is probably why we're seeing these study results that we're seeing right now i think it's definitely like a scary time to be a young woman because misogyny is so rampant what are the kinds of things that you're seeing i get exposed to it the most on twitter or x or whatever it's called and I would say it's mostly just like engagement baiting content, like very rampantly misogynistic. I'd also say our comment sections are like a really dangerous place to look because we get our content on polyester pushed to alt-right misogynist accounts quite often, which is like a horrible thing to see. And you're just seeing like blatant sexism, blatant misogyny, blatant every ism, basically racism. And these people are just like very proud to comment it on public platforms. And I think that's very dangerous that people are like, you know, more than happy to put their name to these views. Like these aren't even bot accounts. When you look at them, they're like people, maybe they have pictures with their kids or like out or at school. And it's like, these are not abstract concepts. Like these are real things that people are thinking. And it's really important to rally against that, I think. Right, okay, so you'll have people sharing clips from the Polyester podcast where your young women, mainly talking about feminism and the issues that you're going through in your own lives, and that content is getting pushed out onto these misogynistic channels to be picked over. If Gen Z is such a divided generation, what is that going to mean, do you think, for their social lives, how men and women in that generation interact in the future. I mean, 
thinking firstly about dating and sex I mean yeah I've seen like a huge reaction on social media to this study in particular which is this is why women don't want to date this is why girls find it so hard to put themselves out there and I absolutely agree with that especially because like on a base level you don't know if you'll actually be safe if you go on a date like is this person actually hateful or are they not are this generation going to struggle to have long-term relationships if the people they are trying to date have such differing views? But there are going to be a lot of like moderate people and people that do not share those views as well. And so then how do you see this backlash essentially that we're seeing laid out in this research, this backlash from some men towards feminism? How do you see that playing out in the next few years in other ways, you know, in work, for example? I mean, I think we'll see it played out where men traditionally hold power, which unfortunately is in like more structural ways, like in government, in like society, in a much more formal setting, in the workplace, whereas women traditionally have had like maybe more social influence, more influence among their peers. But that doesn't mean that things are hopeless or that we can't create change in our own communities. Coming up. How to start the difficult conversations about the gender divide. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today in Focus is supported by better help. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Hello, I'm John Harris, the host of Politics Weekly UK for The Guardian. 
Every week we bring you insights straight from Westminster. He essentially tries to manipulate the mob against the elite. And voices from around the country. I wonder how you feel about the by-election. Well, the country's in a state. Worse now than it's ever been. Join me every Thursday to try and make sense of the current political mess and what might come next. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. There are obviously also longer-term things happening that boys over the long term maybe have lost a certain you know, this fixed idea of what a grown man might look like, you know, the breadwinner. Jobs are different now. And it used to be an insult to say you live in a basement with your parents. But now so many young people actually are having to do that. More than half of adults under 24 are now living with their parents, a record number, according to the Office for National Statistics. Housing's in short supply. You know, the the material aspects of our society have changed over time. Boys talk to you about that kind of stuff. You know, their worries about how, as they grow older, they're going to kind of fulfil a solid idea of what a man is. Absolutely. There's so many young people who have like a deep interest, concern, focus on even, like, where am I going to get my money from? And sometimes that's driven by them thinking in terms of there's an expectation on them to be a provider. I'm thinking in particular, like, certain cultural groups um, that can be really big within um, within the UK. But regardless of religious backgrounds, quite a few of the British Asian groups um, that we talk to in particular will really talk about an expectation, not just to provide, but to provide in through particular jobs or particular ways. In other places, it feels a bit more in line with like a hustler culture type of thing. It's like, you got to get paid, you got to get money, you got to have like flashy things like fast cars and nice clothes or whatever it might be. And there's a concern about how am I going to get rich quick? And it, with some people, there's far less of, of this sort of a worry. But yeah, without doubt, one of the big themes that comes up again and again and again with men of all ages is I need to be the provider. And they might even mentally be on board with Women can also be the provider, but there's something there emotionally where they're, they're quite, they find it quite difficult to give up on that idea. How do we, with the young men and the boys that are in our lives, how do we start to have these sort of difficult conversations that, as you say, are about kind of picking at what's going on for them underneath the surface and and about picking apart maybe some of those negative influences that that they're seeing online or from the people they're hanging out with i think the conversation starts from that recognition just like what you said that these can be difficult conversations it's not going to work to come into it thinking that you're going to have a simple conversation and that you've got the answers and you're just trying to help that man or that boy realize what you know instead it's about like actually being curious about what are the expectations and pressures and desires that they have. Like how do those compete? How do those contradict? Where are they coming from? So I, I think starting with that element of curiosity and empathy, really being quite brave to, to ask those questions and non-judgmental when the answers start coming back, that's going to set up that space to have a conversation. And I think a lot of the conversation, a lot of the change 
really comes from giving people permission to be something other than this very narrow definition of what it is to be a man. Mm. And it's validating the fact that they can do things that are outside of that and actually saying maybe a lot of those things are way more valued. Like maybe perhaps some partners would much prefer their partner, the man in their relationship, to be doing some of the emotional load around the house, right? To be organizing the shopping list and as opposed to bringing an extra 10K. Yeah, give them permission, value the variety of those different options that come up and be willing to explore and talk about the genuine struggles and the genuine compromises that people are going to have to make um, as they move away from a prescribed but harmful idea about what they have to be. Mm. Do you have a suggestion of a first question that somebody could ask? Oh, this is a good one. This is a really good one. In a lot of our workshops, we really start from that perspective of what are these social norms that you've been raised in? Yeah, and we'll ask that question like, in a very different way. We might ask them, like, what was an idea that you learned from your parents about what a boy is, what a boy should be, rather? You know, get that should in there. And, you know, people are normally stumped for a minute or two, but then come up with an answer. So I think translating that to a, more, a less workshoppy context, but more of a context of having a, rela- a conversation with someone that you're a friend with or, you know, that's in your family or, you know, a colleague at work, the question becomes, hey, have you ever thought about like, what were those social norms that you were raised in? Like, had you ever reflect back on those and which ones are different for you now? I think maybe some questions like that, um, that are just trying to get people to think through those early formative years and reflect on actually how would they relate or how do they think about those things now? And I think a lot of people have, they're quite willing and interested in talking about stuff from their past. Dan, thank you. Absolute pleasure. That was Dan Guinness and Ione Gamble. I really recommend listening to the Polyester podcast that she co-presents. This week's episode is on the politics of the mob wife aesthetic that you might have seen all over TikTok. That's it for today. I'm Hannah Moore, and this episode was produced by Sammy Kent. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo, and the executive producer was Hummer Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.